0: You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. We have uh, a handful of these, they're called the 260 Journal. Basically what it is, it's a Bible reading plan that if you read one chapter from the New Testament, Monday through Friday in 2024, you'll finish the entire New Testament, And I would love to give you one of these. Um, I know we don't have enough for everyone, but if it's something that you'd be interested in, I'd love to have you uh, pick one up. There's about 20 or so at the Connect and Grow counter, so please feel free to grab one of those. It's called the 260 Journal, and it's one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, in the New Testament. It'll get you through the entire New Testament in 2024. And I highly would recommend reading Scripture, because it not only changes how you think and what you know about God, it also does a, a rewiring of your brain. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, is anybody besides me occasionally bothered by intrusive thoughts? Things pop into your head, sometimes memories of things that has, you have done or have been done to you, things that you regret, things that are just kind of plague you, kind of plays, you know, used to be VCR tape, then it became a DVD now it's digital, maybe it's nine millimeter just kind of playing back there. One of the things that God's Word does is it renews our mind and it makes our thought processes. It doesn't necessarily wipe everything out, but the Bible has a way of taking away the sting that can be attached to areas of sin that have been done to us or by us. And I would highly encourage you to be a person who reads the Bible with understanding, uh, not just in, in a way where you're You know, I did my my chapter for the day, but really to to allow God to rewire how you're thinking, how you're thinking about yourself, how you're thinking about your engagement, how you think about what you do. And it's one of those things where before you read, one of the things that's very helpful for me, say, Holy Spirit, please help me understand this. We believe the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. So I want the Holy Spirit to help me understand and apply it, because we cannot understand scripture apart from the Holy Spirit teaching us. Okay? Anyway, journals available for you. We're in Acts 12 today, and we are, as we go through this, this this takes place about 11 years after the martyrdom of Stephen, or what we see in Acts chapter 7 and 8. Uh, There was a Herod, a king named Agrippa, who had been appointed in 41 AD. He was the son of Herod Antipas, and he was Rome's choice for a very difficult region of the world. The emperor Emperor Caligula had known Agrippa and Agrippa had kind of grown up in that area in Rome and was chosen to go back to Judea to try to keep peace because the Jewish people in Judea were constantly revolting against Roman rule. And so To be put into power there, like Pontius Pilate was as a representative of Rome, or to be allowed to rule as the Jewish ruler, as Agrippa was, it was kind of a catch-22, because yes, you got the power, but when, not if, but when the Jews revolted, there would be a great uh, smiting of whoever was in charge. And so in this unstable region, Agrippa's ruling, and he begins to try to curry favor with the ruling parties of the Jews, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the, the Herodians, the those Jewish people who were really supporting his rule. And one of the ways he does this is he begins to persecute the early church, and we see this Uh, happening in Acts chapter eight with what happened with Stephen, but even more as the screws are put to the church and they really begin to get hammered and it says even everybody except for the apostles was scattered all over the place. Well, in this situation, Paul the, or not Paul, um, we see, Herod Agrippa attempting to curry even more favor in engaging with the Jews, and he sees that the apostles are still set up in in Jerusalem while everybody else has been scattered, and he decides he's going to start going after the 12, and he's going to strike them, and he's going to wipe them out systematically. And so in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, we see the first of Jesus' apostles to be martyred, one of the ones who had actually walked with him, and that is James. And then we'll kind of go from there on what ends up happening. There's a lot of questions that can arise in a message that when we're hearing this because on one hand, we know Jesus promised that there would be persecution for his followers and at the same time we see over and over again, even in the book of Acts we've seen three times already where people have been in jail, where persecution was coming and where they were potentially going to be killed and where they were miraculously delivered at night. And so when we see this happen with James, we're waiting for the deliverance to happen and yet it doesn't. And so when we're looking at this, it's not, well, what did James do wrong? It's more of recognizing we are promised persecution, and there are times where we will be delivered, and there's times where we won't. But ultimately, it doesn't change the fact that God is still in control. He's still guiding us, and he's still directing our lives. You may remember uh, there's three uh, young Jewish men who grew up in captivity in Babylon. Their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You may know them by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were, you know, basically told you can either worship only the God of the Babylonians or you can be thrown into a pit of fire, they said, you know what? We're not gonna bow to any idols because we know that our God can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not gonna bow. And that's kind of the heart attitude that we see within the church at this time where they're not gonna stop worshiping Jesus and they're not gonna stop declaring his name as Messiah. But in certain situations, there are some who get to continue living while under persecution and there's others who lose their life. And it's not a which one was right, it's simply more of a what is the lot that God has given to us. In Revelation chapter 12, we are told that we overcome the enemy through the blood of the lamb Jesus' death and resurrection. We overcome through the word of our testimony that which God is doing through us. And also the third thing is, is not loving our life even unto death. That if we are called to give our life for the kingdom, that we would do so. This is not something where everyone is going to be martyred for their faith, but we live in a world where Christians are regularly killed for their faith. It doesn't necessarily happen here in the United States yet, but it's happening in other places. The kind of persecution that we experience is maybe discrimination when it comes to jobs or people think that we're mental midgets or that they're, they're so much more evolved than we are. There's more persecution coming and it doesn't mean we've done something wrong. It actually means that the world hates Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist is not just gonna manifest in a one person. It's a general spirit of the age. In Iowa, I don't know if you happen to see this as they're tearing down statues of the founding fathers. They're also erecting a homage and statue to Satan in the Iowa State Caucus. I don't know if anybody happened to see that. Yeah, and then there was a guy, Christian man, one of the legislators went in and took the statue down and cut its head off, Allah Gideon from the book of uh, Judges. Interesting stuff, thinking that's the spirit of Antichrist that wants to elevate any spirit or anything above the name of Jesus. I'm not calling for in any way, shape, or form that we need to politicize or nationalize a Christianity that becomes a political motivation. No, I'm talking about a, a people who want to dedicate their lives to live in the way Jesus did in loving, accepting, forgiving, caring for people, and in spreading his message of the gospel, good news that we can receive salvation from our sins and living with that message and recognizing that the enemy of our souls wants to steal from us, wants to kill us and to destroy. So does that make sense? That's what we're seeing happening here is the spirit of Antichrist showing up in Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. So when it says he was put to death by the sword, this means that he was most likely executed in a a manner befitting a Roman citizen. We don't know that James is a Roman citizen, but this was done in a way that would have been very humane. It was beheading. It was what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was martyred. So James most likely is beheaded. Uh, The other types of, if it would have been a religious type of uh, persecution or religious assassination, it would have been, according to the Jewish model, they would have taken James outside the city and stoned him with rocks until he was dead. If they wanted to make a big spectacle out of him, they would have crucified him like they did to Jesus. But here, it's just they want it. it's almost like they want to minimize him by just putting him off to the side, cutting off his head, okay, he's done. Not drawing attention to it. The Jewish leaders got so excited about this that, uh, Herod's like, I can get so much traction with these people if I do more of this. Who's the person we should go after? We should go after Peter. So Peter is thrown into jail. Now, this is the time during the Passover, and it's illegal to execute people uh, according to Jewish law during the Passover. So Herod says, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to execute him, but we'll wait till after. So he's going to be a good, observant Jewish guy while he's waiting to execute Peter. So this is a situation. Peter's in prison awaiting his execution. The Jews, the religious Jews that are, are rejoicing at this are just, finally, we get to stomp these people out. And the early church that belongs to the, the church of Jesus is praying and asking for God's intervention. It's interesting, because when we talk about persecution, often it's something that happens far away. And then there's often the, the cause and effect way we can engage with You know, when bad things are happening, we can immediately think, what did I do? What did they do to deserve this? In the New Testament, we see multiple times when the disciples maybe bring a a man who's blind to Jesus, and they say, you know, who sinned, this man or this man's parents? And Jesus says, neither. It has nothing to do with that. This is so that on this day, in this time, God's glory can be shown. When bad things happen, it's not always a cause and effect. Sometimes it is, but if we're looking for very linear, it's always this or it's always that, we're going to be incredibly disappointed because life is not that simple. Often, the people who are doing wrong get rewarded. Well, the people who are being obedient get punished. Okay? This is is normal in an upside-down world that we live in. Several different times when Jesus is talking to his disciples, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 21, he specifically addresses persecution will happen. One of them is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the Sermon on the Mount. The whole list, the first, you know, is here's the the blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And he says, for those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, those of you who are reviled, who are pursued relentlessly for evil purposes, those who are hated, those who are sought out, or the enemy seek or people seek out to do evil to you. You can rejoice and be glad because there is a long track record of people who were living for God faithfully who were persecuted and killed on behalf of what they had done. Not every bit of persecution that people receive is because they're doing something that's right. There's a a passage in in 1 Peter where Peter says, by the way, if you're going to be persecuted, don't be persecuted because you did dumb stuff. Okay, there's a type of persecution that comes from doing dumb things. I would compare this to the, if you have a a little kid and you're trying to teach them don't touch the hot stove because you don't want them to get burned. And they go and they touch the hot stove anyway. There, There are experiential learners. okay this is the honey badgers of the family often. You know who they are. Where it's like, yeah, I understand that so-and-so got hurt. I understand you're telling me not to do this. And at the same time, I'm going to give this a try. And then when they're hurt, it's not that we don't help them and say, you know, it's not like they don't get the bandage or the burn cream or things like that. But there's, there, it's not as though they've bumped into it accidentally. There's an aspect of you're hoping that your child or your friend, or your brother, or your sister, or yourself, is learning from the examples of others, but if not, that they're learning from this so that they don't repeat this. When it's a four-year-old that touches a stove, it's it's sad, but it's also a little bit funny. I can't believe that they did this. When our son Joey, uh, he, he showed us eventually because he was hiding his hand. He's probably three. He'd been hiding his hand, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. He used to play pirate, so we thought maybe he was just going, you know, handless. Watched a lot of Peter Pan at our house. And he pulls it out and he's got blisters all over his fingers like, what happened? Eventually we got it out of him that he had been sticking his finger in light sockets. He didn't tell us, but he had these blisters all over the place. And then later, you know, a couple years later, you know, we see Joey's got these burns all over his neck. Like he'd had something wrapped around it's Like what was going on? Find out while Joni's at our dear friend Elisa's house who we named our daughter after, Joey decided he was going to see if he could swing from the curtain, and he ends up wrapping the the, thing that, the, the cord that opens him and closes them around his neck and jumps off the couch, and he's swinging, and he can't reach the ground. And he's telling us the story, and we're thinking, "I'm glad you survived. He's right there. I have so many more stories. But when they're young, when they're small, you can kind of giggle about, "Oh man, that's terrible. The older we get that we are doing dumb stuff, the consequences become so much greater. I can remember when I was working for the state of Nevada, I worked, it was the Christians who were the the biggest slackers that I worked with. And they would complain that they were being persecuted. They just won't let me read my Bible. It's like, yeah, because you're on the clock. You're not employed by, I think at that time it was... um, Governor Bob Miller, you know we don't serve at the pleasure of Bob Miller to be reading our Bibles on the clock. I looked at my job description; at no point does it say crack open Habakkuk. Okay, it doesn't say it. It's not persecution to do that. Or you know when and when Susie goes outside to smoke her cigarettes, it doesn't. It's not persecution. You go out there and, and say, I just can't believe you're out here, you know, polluting your lungs and ruining your such a your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's like. People don't want to hear you lecture them in that type of a way. Those are two very benign examples of what we can do to be dumb. This is not in my notes. So if this is you, okay, please listen to the gentle guidance of the Holy Spirit to not insist just because somebody may may complain or have an issue with what you're doing. It may be you want to check it before you wreck it. You want to, Lord, is this a persecution thing or is is this me being dumb? We may have the best intentions and what we're actually doing is running roughshod. Some of the greatest regrets I have in my life come from me trying to help my wife and help, I am a teacher by practice, but in my helping, I didn't ask her if it was helping her. I simply would download and mercilessly correct and ride and pick apart her words. I'm helping. And when she didn't like it, I can't believe she's responding this way. (laughs) The guffaw you just heard. (laughs) It's from my wife who still likes me. And I'm saying that because for some reason, it's very easy for us to look at other people's Issues and to very easily recognize when they're off or wrong. But we can miss our own because we look at other people's actions and we don't question what their motives are. We don't question, we just recognize how we interpret it. But when it comes to us, we've got all the purest and best motivations in the world. And it may may be very well that we need to address some things with the Lord and how he wants to correct and redirect how we're doing what we're doing. Because we just can't call everything persecution if we're bringing it on ourselves by being harsh or unkind. I can't believe, God, you're not answering my prayers. The Bible says if you're harsh to your wives, guys, God won't listen to your prayers. That's not my word, that's His word. That messes with me. But, 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 but. Again, not in the notes. Do with it what you will. Let's close. <laughs> John fifteen eighteen through 21. Jesus says this. Back in the notes. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If Christianity is popular within our culture, I wonder what is the kind of Christianity it is. Because to be obedient to Jesus is to say no to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's not just to throw in God and say, Oh, look, they're, they're praying to God. We're, be, we're, we're asked to obey him. And in doing so, we are refusing to bow down to the prince of this world. And that's where the persecution comes in because you stand out, you're going against the grain. And it's not attempting to cause issues, but when you stand for Jesus to be obedient to him, you don't have to do it loudly. It will stand out because it will shine like light in the darkness. It will be like life surrounded by death. Does this make sense? When Jesus says, they did it to me, expect it, okay? The kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. So I thought it might be interesting to also look at a couple words that Peter said. Now, Peter being someone who was thrown in prison many, 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 many times when he writes about persecution, 1 Peter chapter four. He says this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ you're blessed because the spirit of and spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the, at the household of God and if it begins with us what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In Peter's first letter, he actually wrote two. He says persecution or fiery trials is going to come, and these are given to test us or to purify us. This doesn't mean that God's trying to see if we're worthy. He is allowing the circumstances that we go through on this planet to be things that will allow us to be refined. Uh, over and over again, we see the idea is, is, does God tempt us? No, God does not tempt us. God allows testing and the difference between testing and temptation is temptation is meant to be something that is to bring condemnation. It's meant to separate us from God. It's meant to isolate us. Uh, refining is is meant to purify. It's meant to teach us obedience. It's meant to uh, make us more like Jesus. It's, it, it's not necessarily fun to go through, but I can tell you, I played sports in high school as, as far up as I could play, and we did terrible things at the end of football practice where we would run 100 meter sprints and every week they'd add another one. So by the end of the year, we're running 20, 100. at the end of you know, hours worth of practice back before they realized that two a days was probably not a good idea. We're doing this and thinking, why are they doing that? Because there's gonna come a time when you're gonna need the endurance and the perseverance and you're not gonna have it unless you've done the work. God allows us to go through testing because we will experience situations that unless we've gained that gut, We've gained that integrity. We've gained the character. We've gained the perseverance. We've had God build his character into us. We will stumble and fall. This same Peter, who three times denied Jesus to a little girl who's trying to lump him in with Jesus, weren't you with him? No, that wasn't me. No way. Listen, I can swear. I'll show you I'm not with Jesus. This is the same one when he was brought later. After going through many trials and, and, and temptations and, and tribulations and testing, they were going to crucify him. And he says, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to be, to be killed in the same manner that my master was. It's so like, fine. And they killed him upside down he went through weeks and weeks and months and months of isolation we read about in, in a book called What Happened to the Apostles? There's a story about how Peter for, for months was kept in the deepest darkest prison and they would send guards down to kind of care for him and the guards would get sick because of where they were located and he would lead them to Christ and they would leave and replace him with more people so, so many more people were coming to Christ because of Peter's witness and eventually they, they're waiting for him to die in this hole and he just won't die so they bring him out they're going to crucify him and that's what he did crucify me upside down I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was same guy that couldn't stand up to a young lady who was trying to say you were with Jesus what changed he went through the testing it built character and perseverance into him God wants us to be strong for him to be in his mighty power in his strength and he works those things that suck for good He does not waste your pain. Nothing you go through is a waste. He will find a way to work it, even when you don't see him working. So, Peter's waiting to die. End of the feast comes. Peter's hanging out. They know the story of what's happened to Peter before. Peter's been in jail before with the other disciples. He has escaped multiple times. So this is not going to happen again. Not on my watch. They've got him chained with two chains. Not the wrapper, just the two chains. Two chains to soldiers. And then there's two more soldiers. So there's four squads of four. Math people, 16, okay? 16 guards Around Peter, and he's there in the middle of the night. He doesn't have his outer cloak on. He doesn't have any shoes. He knows the next day the feast is over. He's going to be killed just like James was. The church is praying while he's sitting there. All of a sudden, there's this vision. It's this angel. Remember, Peter's had visions before. Remember when he was on the roof at Simon the Tanner's house? He didn't know he was. He was in a trance, and he saw this, and he was told these things, so he did it. Well, he's like, I get this picture of this angel appears before him, and Peter's just kind of out of it, and the angel just kind of goes, bops, with his staff right in the ribs. He's like, hey. so get up. The chains fall off. Put on your shoes. Put on your cloak. Peter's like, okay. And he's like, this is a dream. This is a dream. And he's following the angel, and they go through, and they're walking back. By the soldiers, the, all the guards, and the doors are opening up, and the doors are shutting behind him. And they get out to the the gate in the city, and the gate opens up, and the angel just kind of says, "Okay, go." And then the angel's gone, and Peter's standing out there. And he, it's at that moment it says he realizes, "Oh, I'm not dreaming. I'm free, and nobody's chasing me, but they might." And so he leaves, and he goes to the place where they know. He knows they'll be praying for him. And I can only imagine, you know, Peter, he's a little bit of a loud mouth. He's a little bit brash, but he also has just been humbled. has been waiting for his death. He shows up at the house. People are fervently praying. Okay, can somebody get the door? And it says they send a servant girl, a girl named Rhoda. Okay, Rhoda goes to the door and she's like, who's there? She knows you're not supposed to open the door for people. I mean, it may have been opening the door that led to the arrest of some of these other apostles. Hey, Rhoda, it's me, Peter. Open the door. Really? Is it you, Peter? Yes, it's me. Open the door. Rhoda turns around and runs the other way. Goes back in and she starts yelling, "Peter's at the door!" But he's not inside. it's not him. We're going to keep. We're praying for Peter right now, Rhoda. We don't know. They dismissed her. And if she. Can, I, I, it's really him. And somebody comes up. It's his angel. I don't know what that means. When they say, oh, it's, his, it's Peter's angel, they're praying. And eventually, there's still the, and Peter's trying not to, you know, raise the neighborhood, but he's like to get inside. I mean, he just was delivered from jail, 16 guards. Can you please let a brother inside? And she finally opens up the door, and Peter comes inside, and it's like, look, it is Peter. Can you, it, it's, how awkward is this? Where he's like, guys, what? I just got delivered and I'm standing outside. And all I'm thinking is, you know, Mildred next door is going to see me. She's going to, she's never liked us. She's going to report on us. And you guys are not believing Rhoda. And Rhoda, open the <laughs> stinking door. You, I'm sorry. You know, just imagine this. It says, so they have great rejoicing, but they're rejoicing like not loud because they don't want to draw attention to themselves. So it's kind of like what I've heard when, when the church gathers in places where they're not meant or supposed to gather, Turkmenistan, North Korea, China, Mongolia, other places, when they sing praises to God, they're declaring praises to God like this. And when they're clapping, I'm serious. It's it's funny, but it's like they're doing all this stuff, but they're doing it. And it's like, it's quiet. So they're declaring these praises to God. And eventually Peter says, okay, guys, thank you for your prayers. I'm out of here. And he goes and he hides somewhere else. Next morning, Herod Agrippa sends someone in. All the guards are still standing guard over Peter's chains. And they get in there and it's like, okay, where's Peter? It's like, well, and at that moment, they realize he's not here. If they'd known he wasn't there, they would have done something beforehand. But until the time that the guard came from Agrippa, they had no clue. And so they're looking around, it's like, Steve, what happened? What happened? Well, he was right here. It's like he was, but now he's not. And they're still chained to the chains, but there's nothing in the middle of the chains. It's like this isn't two guys. This isn't, well, they fell asleep. Even if they fall asleep, how's Peter going to get free? He took his shoes. He's got his coat. What happened? And eventually, Herod Agrippa brings all 16 of these guys before and asks them, what happened? None of them could give an answer because none of them knew. And it says he put all 16 of them to death. They got the penalty, according to the, the law, if a guard allowed someone to escape, they got the penalty for their prisoner. I think, well, that isn't fair. It's what happened. It was bad. So, very cool stuff. Peter survives for another day. It's kind of interesting. This chapter ends with something about Herod Agrippa. And it says, this, is, this came about the Roman historian, a guy named Josephus, who wrote a bunch of stuff. He was writing to please Rome. And so some of his writing about Rome is very flowery. But he records a ton of stuff about Jesus, and he actually addresses how Herod Agrippa died. So the people of Tyre and Sidon were dependent upon Herod Agrippa's benevolence for their food and for their provision. And they were in constant conflict with him. And they eventually decided it's more important for us to eat than to keep our dignity. So they began to lavish praises on him and they would everything they could do to brown-nose this guy they're doing. One day, Herod Agrippa's going to give a speech and all the people, of, all the, the nobles of Tyre and Sidon show up and they're like, isn't this wonderful? He's the best speaker ever. This is the voice of a, of a god, not of a human. And, and Herod Agrippa's like a a bad WWE heel who's just up there soaking in it all. Yeah, keep it coming, more, more, more. And it says at that moment he was stricken by God. And then I love the little uh, note that Luke adds, and he was eaten by worms. Died terrible death. And then we get to the very last verse. This man who'd been an opponent of the gospel and of the apostles, stricken by trying to claim glory that did not belong to him. Final verse, Acts twelve twenty four. But the word of God increased and multiplied, though the nations rage, though the opponents rise up, though the persecution happens, the word of God increased and multiplied. What stands out from this to you today, from the message? When you think about the promise that we see in Scripture over and over again, I will never leave you or forsake you. What are you doing with that? Jesus didn't abandon James. He died at that point for his faith. Jesus did not leave Peter. He died later for his faith. Ultimately, we will all die unless Jesus comes back first. Will we, or how will we live to honor him? It's easy to focus on the persecution. Why? Because it hurts. I can remember being a kid, going in to the doctor, and they said, you're going to be getting a shot today because we want to stop you from getting polio. When I was a child, polio was something that was still happening. My doctor himself had gotten a bad batch of polio vaccine and still to this day walks with a severe polio-induced limp. They'd gone from the sugar cube with the little little... uh, medicine in it, which is preferred to what they did to me. I got the shot. And I focused so much on the shot because I didn't want to get a shot. My parents are trying to tell me, you're getting the shot because it will help you not get polio, which is something that's crippling and could kill you. I think, But it's going to hurt so bad. When we hear about persecution, I don't know anyone's like, man, I can't wait till mine comes. This isn't like the, you know, We want a special gift and it's coming. I got a a note in the mail the other day, my friend Alex in Germany says, I sent you something special. I know it's good, I know it's gonna be good. I think I know what it is and I'm looking forward to it. Persecution is not like, man, here it comes. I got this note saying in three days it's gonna show up at my door and I'm just waiting for it to come. We don't anticipate persecution, We, we, we don't want it. It's funny, I can remember being that kid in the room, getting ready to get my shot. The doctor puts the alcohol swab on me, and I, "Ah!" (laughs) you know, because it's like, it hurts so bad. It's like, that was just the cold. The focus of this is not persecution or the pain. Jesus will be with us. If you want, this might sound a little bit morbid, but please know it's not. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's the story of countless men and women who've gone before us who've been killed for their faith. And what were they thinking about? What were they saying as they were losing their lives? It actually is incredibly faith building because they're not focused on the pain. Over and over again, they're focused on the fact that, oh, Jesus is with me and I know he's here. Like Peter, like Stephen, when Stephen is getting ready to be stoned and he says, look, I can see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. Jesus is here. That's what happens when we're persecuted. We will be present with him. And I don't even, you know, Paul writes, the sufferings of this world don't even compare to the good that's coming. May our eyes be lifted off the persecution and set firmly upon Jesus. How will we set ourselves long-term to live steadfast, to persevere for Jesus? Step by step, day by day, hour by hour, Sometimes moment by moment, decision by decision, repentance by repentance, reorienting, realigning, redirecting, and then you do it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for your word that says you will never leave us or forsake us. I thank you for the promise that you will be with us always, even at the very end of the age. I thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, that we don't even have to remember everything we've ever been taught, but that you'll remind us by the power of the Spirit. You'll strengthen us, you'll fill us to overflowing, you'll deliver us, you'll make us new. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to whatever happens, whatever we face, we will live worthy of the gospel, and that when we hear these stories of persecution from far away, and when these stories come up close and personal to us, we will not run away, but we will stand firm with and for you, where you've called us to stand firm, in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W E B at hillside, the number four dot org.